Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unbossed. I am your host, Nina Turner, and I'm so glad that you are here. And in the co host chair is Yasmin Khan, contributor to the breakdown. Yasmin, so glad to have you back in the co host seat. And we got a lot of stuff we're going to cover today. We do. I'm glad to be back here. Yeah, we're happy you are. And Yasmin and I today, we're going to be talking about the Trump rally. President Donald J. Trump had his first rally of the 2024 season, and he vows retribution at the rally in, of all places, Waco, Texas. And the Tiger King lays out his 2024 presidential platform from prison. And Congressman Ro Khanna, I got a smile on that, but this is America, baby. Congressman Ro Khanna endorses progressive leader. Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Now don't forget to subscribe if you are watching the show for the very first time. Welcome to Unbossed. And if you are a regular, don't keep all this goodness to yourself. Make sure you send a text message or tweet or something, a message in a bottle to, to your friends and your frenemies and let them know that one of the best hours of their day is happening right now on Unbossed. Let's get straight into this. President Donald J. Trump has his cult riled up. Watch this. In 2016, I declared I am your voice. And now I say to you again tonight, I am your warrior. I am your justice. I know it took a lot of heat for this one, but I only mean it in the proper way for those who have been wronged and betrayed, of which there are many people out there that have been wronged and betrayed. I am your retribution. We will take care of that. And 2024 is the final battle. That's going to be the big one. You put me back in the White House. The reign will be over. And America will be a free nation once again. Ooh, we 2024. So that was President Donald J. Trump speaking at his first 2024 rally in Waco, Texas on Saturday. And as expected, he whitewashed the events of January the 6th, which has become a rallying cry for him so far. It started out quite bizarrely. With a hand over his heart, Trump stood at attention when his rally opened with a song called Justice for All, performed by a choir of people imprisoned for their roles in the January 6th insurrection at the US Capitol. Some footage from the insurrection was shown on big screens displayed at the rally site as the choir sang the national anthem and a recording played of Trump reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, Phil Bump of the Washington Post took a deeper dive, and we're going to go into this deep dive with him as he paints the scene. As Trump stood on the stage in Waco, hand over his heart. Large screen showed the video created to accompany the song. At first, the video is standard DC monuments and waving flags through with a healthy dose of Trump. But then halfway through, it shifts. Now the imagery is of the Capitol on that grim day, but not of the rioters pushing back law enforcement and beating police. Instead, the imagery is of police using tear gas and pushing back the rioters. It's a clumsy introversion of the day's narrative, one befitting an attempt to turn the rioters into the day's victims. This is a useful narrative for a number of people on the fringe right. 
For Fox News host Tucker Carlson, for example, the argument helps erode viewers' confidence in anyone not named Tucker Carlson. For Trump, the argument is more directly self-serving. If government investigators are in the habit of punishing right-wing actors because they are right-wing, then clearly that's what all of these investigations of Trump are all about. They're about that too. And Philip really laid that, he really laid that out. Jasmine, Jasmine, really. Yeah, you know, these are the same people, Nina, and we were talking about this the last time I was on your show. These are the same people who are mad that Lift Every Voice and Sing was playing at the Super Bowl, and now they're here with their hands on their hearts for some justice for all fake national anthem. And you know, this is exactly what we said would happen if Trump wasn't held responsible for what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. But going even further back, this is exactly what a lot of us said would happen back when Trump first started running for president back in 2015. When he was holding rallies where he would say the first hateful and divisive thing that would pop into his head. Or even before that, when he kept demanding that Obama prove that he wasn't born somewhere in Africa. The fact that we as a nation have done so little to discredit his voice and his ideas. And the fact that so many of us still believe in the things that he says, says that we have so much more work to do in this country. Because it's not just about Trump, it's about his supporters and the people who look at him as some sort of visionary and some kind of incredible orator. And he's the leader that they never had. Indeed, it is especially about his supporters. I mean, he got over 70 million votes during that last election cycle, and that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, no doubt President Joseph Biden won that race, but Trump was certainly formidable, and those people believe in this man. So, this is serious business here going into 2024. Now, there is a significance to Trump being in Waco, Texas, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about. Waco, Texas, just bring this back to some people's memory. And some people may not have even been born when this incident happened in Waco, Texas. Trump did what we expected at the rally. He did exactly that and Waco is significant for him. He was whitewashing January the 6th and playing, you guessed it, the martyr. That is the role that he plays extraordinarily well. This headline right here, the timing of Waco itself, Trump rally falls during the anniversary of Waco's dark past. Donald Trump picking Waco, Texas for the first rally of 2024 campaign Saturday will put him in the middle of a big Republican state that has reliably delivered him big crowds. It will also put him not far from the grassy prairie where a standoff in 1993 between US law enforcement and Branch Davidians infamously resulted in the deaths of more than 80 members of the religious cult and four federal agent and there were several, several children that died. I believe over 20 children died, almost 30 children died that day. And of course, the standoff was led by Branch Davidian cult leader David Koresh. And a Branch Davidian pastor spoke about Trump showing up in Waco, Texas. Take a look. He's making a statement, I believe, by coming to these stomping grounds where the government, the FBI, laid siege on these, this community, just like they laid siege on Mar-a-Lago and went in and took his stuff. That's what they wanted to do here. They wanted to come in and take the guns and everything. Well, he's making a statement. He's not coming right out and saying, well, I'm doing it because I want you to know 
you know, what happened there was wrong. But he implies it. And for him to use the same language, a siege, he felt that the FBI was besieging his Mar-a-Lago estate. You can see from that interview, this pastor is totally all in for Trump. He believes the lies that President Trump is telling. They broke into Mar-a-Lago and took his stuff, his stuff? No, that is not what happened, but here we are. This is a pastor saying this. And the Democratic representative, Jared Murkowskiewicz, spoke to the direction of the Trump, of, of Trump and the cult. Take a look. Well, there was a pretty nasty social media post that he put up there where he used this Christopher Walken monologue and he talked about how he was gonna be the lion that kills all the hyenas chasing him. Uh, are you worried at all? Well, speaking of hyenas, I mean, you don't see stadiums of people chanting lock her up anymore because it's not apparently it's a little ironic for, for his side. Uh, but, you know, look, this is a guy who went to Waco, Texas to bring back visions of David Koresh. I mean, he's got Ted Nugent, you know, following him around as his spiritual advisor. I mean, it, it's very strange what's going on uh, right now with Donald Trump. And- it is strange indeed. What sent those 80 people to their deaths in Waco, Texas, including almost 30 children and two pregnant women, was following David Koresh to his dying end as the building they were in set ablaze and exploded. Trump is leading his cult in an eerily similar fashion, direction directing them to just believe whatever comes out of his mouth. Claiming the government is out to get him, he riles up people by saying those words, especially people who are already predisposed to believe exactly what he is saying. And his calls for action in the same way he called for action on January 6th. And we see how that turned out. It didn't turn out the way his video portrays it, people got hurt. And people got killed and they were trying to overthrow the government on January 6th. Let us not forget that. And this time feels different though, especially with the ties to Waco and Koresh. It feels as if the followers are more hungry, more dangerous, more ready for Trump to take these types of actions and say the words they're thirsting for it. Especially if he continues to prop them up as victims and he's making the people who siege the Capitol, make no mistake, he's painting them as victims. And like Koresh, Trump thinks he's a savior. And that is indeed one of the most scariest parts about what we are discussing today, a second coming of Jesus Christ. He thinks he is being persecuted like no one before him. And he feels that that thought, that belief that he can permeate it, push it through to his base. And it seems like he very well could. Yasmin. Yeah, I would love it if we could just stop electing narcissists into public office, that would be really, really great. But it's not necessarily anything new to compare Trump to a cult leader. But I wouldn't be surprised if he takes the full plunge. You know, cults are nothing if not profitable for the leader. And we all know how much Trump loves his money. He's already been compared to Jesus Christ. He's already been called the second coming. And it's already been said that his presidency was divinely guided. And who knows, maybe it was. I don't know how the divine works, but I would like to think that it operates from a place of love and not from whatever place Trump comes from. But the biggest drift of Trump's life was convincing working class Americans that he's somehow one of them and that he cares about them remotely. 
he isn't and he doesn't and we know that. He's not relatable to practically anyone, but he simultaneously has managed to raise himself up as some of like the epitome of strength and masculinity for his supporters. You know, they trust him to fight for them and they look up to him. And if you think someone is wonderful and divinely inspired and you see that person getting attacked in the media and by the legal system, it's an easy sell that your fighter is somehow also a victim. And that's what he's doing. Yeah, he is, and he is so good at it, and that is what is so scary. He is masterful at it. I mean, he's an actor, though. I mean, take it. He had reality TV show for many, many, many years. He honed in those skills both in boardrooms and also on TV. But you're absolutely right about that, Yasmin. If we could only stop electing narcissists, so we know that in this country, we think about David Koresh, we think about Waco, we think about terrorism itself, and I'm talking about domestic terrorism with which this government has. Been slow to act. Of all the people, uh, uh, Brian Kilmaid of Fox and Friends called out Trump for his continued defense of January 6th domestic terrorists. Take a look. The former president of the United States opened up with January 6th video, which is insane. He should be running from that period. I don't care his point of view, that is not a good thing for him. I thought that was absolutely awful. Even though he is winning in the polls, that will not help. I mean, to have Brian kill me, to Fox and Friends come out and say that, that is pretty different. And believe it or not, you know, Brian is making sense there. A broke clock can be right twice a day, as my grandmother used to say. It was awful, and it definitely continues to be an awful day in this country's history. Trump and his cronies continue to gloss over domestic terrorism. Remember this from Friday? House Republicans toured DC jail where January 6th defendants held. You know, they acting like they just got an epiphany that the jail system and the prison system in this in this country is somehow wrong and not truly rehabilitating people and treating people in humane ways. They just got a clue because it's January 6th folks in there. That's interesting. And defending these attackers, Trump and his base will only inspire them again and again to continue to rise up and to go back. And the comparison of David Koresh. Check out this headline right here, how the siege at Waco inspired Timothy McVeigh's Oklahoma City bombing. In case some of us forgot that that happened, the fatal Waco clash was a motivating factor that led McVeigh to commit one of the deadliest attacks of terrorism, domestic terrorism, I might add, in American history. Y'all need to seal that and wrap that around your mind, one of the deadliest terrorist attacks in American history, Timothy McBay. And on March 16th in 1993, during the height of tensions between federal law enforcement and Branch Davidians, onlookers gathered on a hill three miles away. One of those onlookers sold pro-guns, anti-government bumper stickers, slogans off off the hood of his car. They included slogans such as fear the government that fears your guns. When guns are outlawed, I will become an outlaw. And a man with a gun is a citizen. A man without a gun is a subject. This is a mentality here, America. This is a mentality and we must be keenly aware of it. His name was You guessed it, Timothy McVeigh. And two years later, he and Terry Nichols would detonate explosives outside the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building, Oklahoma City, killing 168 people and injuring hundreds more. 
We saw what Trump inspired on January the 6th. He talks about death and chaos. He's talking about retribution. What we are seeing is the ramping up of the energy for him and his cult. We do have to take this very, very seriously. Yasmin. Yeah, this will never go away until it's appropriately dealt with. We've seen that. And that includes holding the appropriate parties responsible and acknowledging the damage that it's inflicted on our nation publicly. It means talking about what happened on January 6th and how much worse it could have been what they were trying to do. It means having decent people and sensible people in our Congress who for once put their country and its people over their own party and their own pockets. And more importantly though, it means that the GOP and the right wing media need to stop gaslighting its constituents and their viewers and stop telling them that they can see that the things that they can see with their own eyes aren't actually that bad, that they're not seeing what they are actually seeing. They're disrespecting people, our government and journalistic integrity when they do that. You know, if you call yourself the news or if you call yourself a public servant, your job is to serve, whether that's by informing people of what's happening in the world around them or by protecting the public interest. And these January 6th apologists and deniers aren't doing any of that and what they're doing is creating an environment where something like this can more easily happen again in the future. Yeah, they are. Well, we're gonna stay tuned to this. This is not going away and we all must be aware. Oh, Yasmin and I are going to the banks. And that still rings true in terms of the what the what the banks are doing. Let's take a look at this. A lover weekly, the headline banks say let them eat interest. And that's the interest rate heights that are that is. Here we go again. The feds did not hesitate to bail out the banks, but if you everyday Americans need a bailout, the first question out of their mouths is how much will it cost and how can we afford it? Let's take a look at this important point. That means that while ordinary consumers, consumer borrowers struggle, banks will have access to what one financial analyst recently called the biggest bailout of the banking sector since the great financial crises. A new Fed lending facility launched the same day. The central bank voted to bail out Silicon Valley Bank has already injected more than 53 billion into financial institutions at highly favorable terms. The institutions never worry about consequences, they never ever do because they are a part of the owner donor class and the owner donor class never faces consequences. There's a good reason for that and let's further explore what was written in the lever. After Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, a former private equity executive declared war on workers in order to drive down wages and fight inflation last year, it looked briefly like the banks might become collateral damage, but the Fed moved quickly to shield those banks, very quickly, and only the banks from the impact of its actions before announcing Wednesday that it would raise rates by another quarter point. Thank you, Rebecca, for this reporting. Only the banks. Underline it, underscore it, bold it, exclamation point, message in a bottle, only the banks. And a smooth runway for the banks is a rigged system. Let's take a look at this reporting coming from breaking points. 
continuing to process the fallout after SVB failed, Signature Bank failed. And one of the stories we're gonna continue to focus in on is exactly how this happened, what politicians were complicit in rolling back regulations and what exactly some of those corrupt ties were. Let's go ahead and put this up on the screen. It's from Bloomberg News. They noted that Signature Bank, this is again one of the ones that collapsed and we bailed them out, through a fundraiser for the congressman who is now probing how it failed. GOP's McHenry chairs the House Financial Services Committee. The campaign says the donations are not gonna be processed from the event. But it illustrates the incredibly cozy ties between the legislators who are supposed to be overseeing this sector and the banks themselves. I mean, truly, how can the people who are supposed to be watching and regulating get benefit from the people who are destroying this country in that way. In terms of not having the banks regulated in a deep way, not holding the banking industry accountable. And you got this man watching the watches, almost like asking the fox to watch the hen house. And the game does favor the owner donors, make no mistake. Take a look at this further reporting on breaking points. It's worth noting that the same member of Congress has been a favorite of Signature Bank employees since 2017. They have given him a little more than $188,000. That is almost triple the $66,000 mm. that they've given to Minnesota's Tina Smith, a Democratic member of the Senate Banking Committee who has received the second highest amount from them. So you can see how the game is played. Ah, uh, the game indeed, and this game is rigged and is both sides. It is both Democrats and Republicans who answer to their owner donors at the expense of everyday Americans. Now this situation reminds me of a quote attributed to French Queen Marie Antoinette during the French Revolution when she was told that peasants were starving and she allegedly said, let them eat cake. Out of touch as most leaders are, that is what let me eat cake, let them eat cake stands for. They are totally oblivious to the suffering of the everyday people in this country and do not act with a sense of urgency when it comes to what is happening to people in the hoods where they are misunderstood. But instead, they continue to prop up the elite, no matter how they try to run this country into the ground. Yasmin, your thoughts? Yeah, and we all know that the French have no chill. We can see what they're doing over there. And they beheaded Marie Antoinette for being so out of touch, whether or not she actually said that quote. But right. you know, to call all of this a huge conflict of interest is an understatement. But whenever we hear stories like this, it always is coming from the angle that these banks and these corporations are too big to fail. And that if they fail, millions of Americans will suffer as a result, whether directly or indirectly. And while there might be some truth to that, we also have to think that it would be, if it would be so disastrous for these institutions for to fail, why aren't we dealing with them more delicately with more oversight and more regulation where more regulation makes sense? You know, we do this all the time in this country. We keep pushing and pushing until something breaks, and then we scramble to pick up the pieces and stick it all back together, however shoddy of a job that we have to do. We're not into prevention here in this country. And thinking more long term, the instability of these banking institutions actually prevents younger people from making long term plans. We're unable to do so because we don't trust the institutions that we're investing in or otherwise putting our money into. 
to be around for a long time. And economically, that's not actually a good thing. These institutions rely on people participating within them and putting money into them. And if we don't wanna do that, it's gonna be very difficult for them to operate in the future. They need to earn back the public trust and they need to work with our government to do that. Yeah, yes, and they need to be regulated and not giving money to the beneficiary. I mean, it is absolutely asinine to have the chairman of this committee receive almost $200,000 from this particular bank that is supposed to be regulated. How about the American people are too big to fail for once? I like that a whole lot better. The American people are too big to fail and we shouldn't allow any institution to take advantage of the American people and bring our financial sector crashing down. It's something selfish about that and something very unpatriotic about the whole thing. And there should be consequences and repercussions. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to the show. And we say TYT members make it all happen, make it pop. That's not hyperbole. We need our members. As members, you give us the opportunity and the energy and the synergy that we need to be able to continue to be that independent news source that you have come to know and love. So why don't you become a member? Subscribe to TYT today, baby. Don't let the day go out before you subscribe. And on Unboss, we are on podcasts as well. So catch us wherever you get your podcast. And right after Unboss, you can watch JR. Yeah, the watch list, baby. You don't want to miss it. Now to my favorite part of the show, Dandy, Dandy Houdini Dragon, Nina and Yasmin, two intellectual, powerful, powerhouse ladies. A Monday treat for us all. Thank you, Dandy Houdini Dragon. Love that dragon name. And on Twitch, Raven Star Dragon. Hey, Anina. Loving the glasses today, looking sharp. <laughs> Thank you so much, Raven Star. I appreciate that. This is one of my favorite pairs. And on YouTube, Super Chat, River Girl, love Nina Turner. River Girl sending that love back to not only you, but each and every one of you. We appreciate your support of the show and the TYT Network. Uh, the 2024 election will be another strange chapter in American politics. Watch this. Start asking some real questions for the people that work their butts off in this country to pay the bill for these politicians to just keep handing this money away. It's not the working people of America's problem to, to take care of the rest of the world. Uh, we're sending billions and billions of dollars to, to other countries for gender identity, for, for their wars, for their crap. And we're cutting grandma and grandpa's social security uh, in America. And we have homeless vets. And I'm cutting grandma and grandpa's social security. That was infamous former zookeeper known as Joe Exotic speaking with Fox's Lawrence Jones. Now, some people might think being confined to prison would make it difficult to pursue the Oval Office, but Joe announced his run earlier this month. This headline right here. You might think this is a joke, but Tiger King Joe Exotic says he's not kidding. He's running for president from prison, but it's not a joke. Here's his website, he got it up, he ready to go. Yeah, there it is, Joe Exotic 2024 for a free America. Now, as a reminder, Joe is serving a 21 year prison sentence for wildlife charges 
and plotting a murder for hire conspiracy against Carolyn Baskin. And here are the issues, yeah, you heard me right on that. And here are the issues that Joe is running on, prison reform. <laughs> Not a coincidence that's at the top of his list, uh, ending complete uh, immunity, criminal justice reform, foreign affairs. Now Joe Exotic list of issues continued. Term limits, two term total for all politicians, taxes, IRS should be shut down. Immigration, pay $50 a month per family member to keep from being deported. Social Security and Medicare opt out of paying into Social Security. Oh, I sigh deeply. Everyone is obviously welcome to run. The more the better, but baby, we just really, you got me scratching my head on this one, yes. Yeah, I must be the only one who didn't watch Tiger King during the pandemic. And that was even with my boyfriend watching it while we were stuck in the same house together. But I didn't want to watch it because he just it felt Trumpy to me. Yeah. It literally felt like I was you know, helping to propel someone into the spotlight who didn't necessarily need to be there. And as these things go these days in this country, anyone with a little bit of popularity, especially someone who appeals to a very specific demographic of people loves to run for public office, including the absolute highest public office office in the country. And I'm not gonna say I call this, but I definitely called this. <laughs> not gonna say you called it, but you called it. I'm with you guys, I didn't watch Tiger King either. I don't even know who this dude is, truthfully. I mean, this is my first introduction to this fella. Consider this is America, lucky. this is America. I mean, running from prison, this is America. And that is exactly what this man is doing. Stay tuned to this, I am sure that the 2024 election cycle is going to continue to get more and more either bizarre or exciting, depending on how you look at it. Come on in, the water is just fine. You too can be president of the United States of America. All right, on to some good news. The FTC wants to ban tough to end subscription. This is music to so many of our ears. Imagine a world where it wasn't a hassle to cancel subscriptions and memberships. That could be a reality. Look at this headline from The Verge. The FTC wants to ban those tough to cancel gym and cable subscriptions. Amen to that. The proposed Click to cancel rule would require companies to let you cancel a, a membership in as many steps as it takes to sign up. I know that's right. So what exactly does this mean? I'm so glad you asked. That includes letting people use the same method for both actions. You shouldn't have to jump over 17,000 mountains to cancel a subscription. It should be just as easy to get out as it was to get in. Hello, somebody on that. Can we get some witnesses out there? Anybody been all stuck on some subscriptions that you tried to cancel and you still trying to cancel? They let you in, but they won't let you out. We wanna get a hello somebody on that. So a business can't, for instance, let somebody sign up for a service online, but make them call a phone number to cancel. How you got in is how you are going to be allowed to cancel. Many companies try to keep subscribers by offering special deals or perks, and they're still allowed to do that, but they must offer an upfront opt out that lets customers bypass the sale sales pitches. I mean, if I wanna get out, I don't need you trying to sell me to stay up in this piece, right? That's what they do on a regular basis. They also have to annually remind consumers that they're enrolled in what are dubbed quote negative option programs or programs where failing to cancel something is considered an agreement to keep paying for anything but 
physical goods. This is so good and thank you The Verge for this reporting. Now not enough people complained about this. The FT the F TC chair Lena Khan stated the following, companies should not be able to manipulate consumers into paying for subscriptions that they don't want. We get countless complaints about this. Now enough people are complaining about this, which is good. These complaints come from various different companies. Here are a few complaints come from Amazon Prime, the New York Times, gym memberships and cable services. These are the types of services that people are complaining about. They call these methods roach motel methods. Among other incidences last year, this headline, Vonage to pay 100 million to settle junk fee allegations. Last year, the FTC put out a policy statement promising to go after companies deploying dark patterns and hidden fees. Good for you, FTC. The good news, a formal ban sets a codified standard for what's unlawful and gives the FTC more flexibility to demand restitution. And that is what the people need and deserve, restitution. The agency can recover around $50,000 per individual violation of a consumer's rights. And consumer lawsuits can recover damages for lost funds and potentially wasted time because absolutely your time is money. Yasmin, this is some really, really good news. This whole story is like triggering me as you're telling the story. Yeah, these are the types of things that seriously stress out everyday Americans. These things are the reason why we all have anxiety and why none of us want to make a phone call anymore. And it's a personal pet peeve of mine. Anything that's more difficult than it needs to be, I get very irritated very quickly. I turn into a very not nice person on those calls. And I'm not even ashamed to say that the culture of commercialism shouldn't feel predatory and it shouldn't be designed to raise people's blood pressures. Nobody wants to live in a world like that and yet here we are. But these companies get away with these tactics because no one tells them they can't. And because there's hardly ever any meaningful competition anymore to ensure that companies are actually putting the needs of their customers first. So they tow a line of legality so that they're not technically doing anything wrong with their predatory tactics. You know, they're just streamlining their marketing or they're just optimizing their operations for efficiency. And it's very easy for companies to roll out unpopular policies because they're not the ones who will have to relay those policies directly to the customers. We don't talk about those customer service reps enough who are at the front lines of these of these fights that they're having with the customers. They send in their employees to fight with these customers and they don't get paid nearly enough money to do that. Anyone who's ever worked in retail or customer service can tell you that. I for one am all for civility and sanity and commerce and I would like to see some of that. Yeah, I agree with you guys, man. I'm I'm triggered too. I mean, I remember those days as a much, much, much younger person getting my first Bally's a fitness center oh membership. And it was so hard to get out of that. They go after you, they try to mess up your credit, everything. Like they have the upper hand and they really do bully people. And to know that those tactics are still going on across various sectors is ridiculous. And I'm really glad that the FTC is clamping down on these types of, as you laid out, predatory practices because they are. So we're so glad that this is happening. We're glad we could bring you some good news on Unboss. And now we're gonna go back to some of our member, 
our member comments here we got on Twitch. Thank you, Ladybug Dragon. Oh, Ladybug Dragon, thank you so much for subscribing for 33 months. We appreciate you, Ladybug. Thank you so much, Ladybug Dragon. And on YouTube, Super Chat, Michelle, hello, Verizon has been holding us hostage for years. And Spectrum keeps offering their services, but there's no savings, so we feel doomed. I know that's right, Michelle. Hello. A lot of people I'm sure can relate to that particular thing, but thank God almighty it is coming to an end. Finally, it took too long to get here, but now we are here. Moving on to our next story. Rep Rokana of California announced Sunday that he will not enter the US Senate primary in the great state of California. Watch this. You've been considering a run for the US Senate to represent California. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, is not running for reelection. Have you made a decision about that yet? I have, Jake. I have uh, concluded uh, that uh, despite a lot of uh, enthusiasm from Bernie folks, uh, the best place, the most exciting place, action place, fit place for me to serve as a progressive is in the House of Representatives. And I'm honored to be co-chairing Barbara Lee's campaign for the Senate and endorsing her today. We need a strong anti-war senator and she will play that role. That was Congressman Ro Khanna of California announced Sunday that he will not enter that race and that he is throwing his support in for Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And there are three members of the Congress who have entered to replace Senator Dianne Feinstein. And they are Representative Katie Porter, Representative Porter got out into the race very, very early. And you have Representative Allen Schiff. And now you got Representative Barbara Lee. And this will prove no doubt to be a very, very interesting race. Now, Congressman Rokana went on to say the following. I know Barbara Lee will not only fight for, but will deliver on our progressive priorities that are long overdue like Medicare for all, a Green New Deal and ending the filibuster. Right on, right on. He also went on further. They also have to, or excuse me, Congresswoman Barbara Lee put out a tweet thanking Congressman Rokana. She said, thank you Rokana for your endorsement of my campaign for US Senate, where I will fight every day to push our shared progressive agenda of Medicare for all, ending student debt and abolishing the filibuster. And we need that filibuster abolished because that is why we can't get many things done. It's one of the reasons why we couldn't get a lot done in the 117th Congress because that filibuster was there and you had two Democratic senators at the time, Manchin and Cinema. You probably had a few more hiding behind them like cowards do, but they did not want to help to work to get rid of the filibuster. And then you got the President of the United States of America who was not willing to put it all on the line to, in fact, get rid of the filibuster. So go ahead on Congresswoman Barbara Lee. And this will be an interesting race on so many levels. It will especially be interesting to see whether or not the latte liberals who love to weaponize identity 
who they get behind during this race. You know, having identity is one thing, but when you weaponize it in the way that the latte liberals do it, it's all it's all symbolic, but no substance. We're gonna see how they feel about Congresswoman Barbara Lee getting into this race and where they stand. My stunt double has something to say about the latte liberals and how they comport themselves, and this is what she had to say. It's interesting. That so-called moderates who cling to identity politics are backing Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff, that is, instead of a progressive black woman when the Senate has no black women. Hmm. Interesting. Yasmin, your thoughts on what Congressman Rokana has just announced, and also what my stunt double had to say. Yeah, I hadn't even realized that we had no black women in the Senate until you just said that. And I guess I'm not surprised, but that does seem very strange. And, and yes, to, to, your, to your point, and sorry for cutting you off on your mm-hmm. thoughts. I mean, it took such a long time. Carol Mosley Braun was the first black woman in the United States Congress. Mm-hmm. And then we had Congresswoman, now Vice President Harris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, zero, zero black women in that Congress. Right it's kind of crazy. I mean, we feel so advanced and we think of ourselves as being so advanced, but we're just not where we would like to think that we are. And you know, like it or not, identity politics will play a role in this race, whether we think it should or not. And I personally, you know, there are some mixed feelings there. I think the best person for the job should get the job, but I also strongly believe in the positive impact of representation, especially in government. That said, I also believe that there are plenty of people who are more than qualified for for positions who are anything but the status quo. So I don't think that it has to be one or the other. I would love to live in a world where we don't have to keep having these conversations around representation, but I just don't think that we're there yet. And that's the thing, when we're talking about elected government officials, we're literally talking about representation in the most literal sense, right? We're trying to elect people who represent our values and ideals. And we know that many more Americans hold progressive beliefs than we have representation for in our government. We know that the demographics that represent us in our government do not represent the demographics of people who actually live in this country. We'd all love to see more Congress people fighting for things like Medicare for all and for the Green New Deal, but also for racial equity and gender equity. In California specifically is a grossly underrepresented state based on its population. And I think the whole country will be watching the Senate race, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And and identity for the sake of identity. I mean, we've had identity politics in this country since its inception. It's been the white, rich, white male identity. <laughs> you know, that 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 has been the norm. But when I refer to the latte liberals, they're the ones that prance around and talk about how important black women are and black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party. But yet those same folks, put Yasmin back up with me, we're having a conversation. Those same folks then go and, and endorse Congressman Adam Schiff. Now, Yasmin, they might have some really you know, substantive reasons as to why they're doing that. But my stunt double is, is putting out that most of those latte liberals, they only do it for their own convenience and they have no conviction about whether or not, you know, what is the representation? And it's the whole package, you know, it's everything. It's not just being a woman, it's not just being African American or somebody of a of of, a, of another race or ethnicity. It's not just those things. Those things enhance it. And you're absolutely right. Had we been the type of country from its inception that valued those things, 
we wouldn't be in the place that we are in right now, where we got to sit up here in the 21st century in 2023 and say with a straight face that there are no black women in the US Senate and in the history of the United States of America. Even though black women have been not, not forget the Democratic Party, the black women have been the, the backbone of this entire country. Don't get me started on how black women have had to sacrifice their bodies and their minds and their hearts and even their families. Hello, somebody. But to sit up here and know that in the 21st century that we don't have a black woman in Congress and nobody really cares. And yes, and you know what? It's not even Congress. I can tell you, even in my own state, and I served in the Ohio Senate, and this pains me, this galls me because I'm somebody, I'm about the symbol and the substance. I want them both. And what galls me is to have white liberals, the latte liberals, use identity in a way that 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 they don't care. They don't care whether or not communities of color are truly uplifted. They use black people or other people of color as shields for their foolishness. But in my very state, Yasmin will not believe in the state of Ohio from the, from the great city of Cleveland, the county known as Cuyahoga, we have zero black people represented in the Ohio Senate. When I was there, there were two black women senators, myself and Senator Shirley Smith, and to think that we were making progress, I used to work for the first black woman elected to serve in the Senate. I didn't work for her when she was elected there, but I got a chance you know, along my career path to work for her. And that's Ryan McLean of Dayton, Ohio. But to know that from the largest county in the state, to know that where the city of Cleveland is, is majority black, that we have zero black people, black women or black men representing the great state of Ohio from Cuyahoga County. So it's not just what is happening in the Congress, these kinds of things are happening all over the country. And it just seems to me, Yasmin, when we think we're making progress, like we can never just rely on what is happening in the moment. We must always guard progress. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely, and I agree with you completely. I think. It's really hard. I love how you call them the latte liberals. I've never actually heard that before. So I think it's actually kind of perfect because it is a whitewashing of, of issues that concern communities of color and anybody who's pretty much not a rich white man, right? A rich cisgender white man, right? That's if you right. want to add another layer to it. And the truth is, you're never going to truly understand the struggles and the issues that a certain um, section of the population is facing until you actually engage with them or you come from that community, right? And the only way that we can ensure that our government is reflecting those needs and those concerns, the things that plague those specific communities is by having people from those communities represent us in government. And again, that's why it is so important to have some kind of diversity in our in our government systems. And that's at the federal level, the state level, and also at the local community levels. I live in Houston, Texas, and we're a very diverse city. I don't think people realize how diverse Houston is. It's actually one of the most diverse cities in the country. I think it's like second to New York City actually. Um, but we have had the benefit of having people of color in our city governments. But now we're getting taken over by a lot of oversight from state officials. Our Texas GOP, you know, the, the party of small government is here in Houston in, in, in um, interfering in all of our local initiatives. And a lot of those initiatives do benefit people of color and our communities of color. And those communities have been getting 
overlooked quite a bit by our government. And they've been overlooked by commercial development and things like that. And they've been negatively impacted in ways that they really should not have been. Also by pollution, these communities also tend to be in areas where there's a lot of you know oil and gas pollution here in Houston. And it's not fair that they're targeted in that way. And they, those communities need people in the government championing them and speaking to those issues and helping them out. So going forward, I really hope that we can see that not only in Congress, but as you said, at all levels of government, wherever people need representation, I hope they get it. And I hope that we're at least moving in that direction instead of moving the opposite direction. I do too, Yasmin, it is a consciousness too. You know what I mean? It's not just phenotype, it is the consciousness that people bring to the table as well. We need that, yeah, we need the representation is vitally important and this is not a but, and we need a certain consciousness level because you can have somebody in the black community. We say all the time, you my color, but you're not my kind. Meaning you might not be rocking with the same things I'm rocking for. Do you believe in Medicare for all? I'm just using those for example. So it'll be one thing just to have a woman or another person, a person of color. But you know, if they not standing up for what is right, just and good, if they don't believe in lifting the everyday people in this country, then what good is that? And that is why I indict the latte liberals because they only use black people and other people of color and women for that matter when it suits them, but they care nothing about whether or not those people that they're propping up, you know, and it's, it's the neoliberals, the people that they prop up. Do those people actually care mm-hmm. about changing material conditions? Now we got Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who's a progressive. See, that's it. Because see, these these latte liberals, they'll go harder after progressives than they will against Republicans. So we're gonna see what happens here. Well, we watching this, baby. We will be reporting on this over and over again. Hoover, how you doing, baby? The reason why there are so many tough to end subscriptions is because politicians got an impossible to end partisanship with those company lobbyists. You got that right, Hoover, make it plain. Progressive Alaskan, hey, Progressive Alaskan. Thank you, Nina, for explaining what a latte liberal is. You are the best. Love your truth. And on YouTube, Super Chat Michael, love you, Nina. Oh, we sending all of our love to each and every one of you as well. We appreciate this. And you know, I'm really gonna keep up with this because I know what it's like to be burned by latte liberals and by neoliberals who all they care about is having somebody elected that's gonna continue to toe their line. They don't want somebody that's gonna stand up and fight the powers. And see, Congresswoman Barbara Lee is such a person. She's gonna be in there fighting the powers. So we gonna see whose side they really are on on this one. We can already guess what it is, but I'm gonna give them a chance to, to get righteous real quick. Now we wanna remember a great activist, Mr. Randall Robinson. On Friday, freedom fighter and human rights activist, author, lawyer, Randall Robinson passed away at the young seasoned age. Both of those things can go together of 81. And here is a photograph of Mr. Robinson. Mr. Robinson was well known for his work in combating apartheid in South Africa, as well as his activism right here in the United States. Robinson was one of the leaders of the Free South Africa movement, which began in the 1980s and pushed in apartheid. He led a range of foreign policy campaigns in his lifelong 
lifelong advocacy in defense of democracy and justice in Africa and the Caribbean. A press release from Robinson's family says. Now born in Richmond, Virginia in 1941, Robinson cited the experience of segregationalists as a push toward life as a civil rights leader and an activist. Now during his time at Trans Africa, he organized a sit-in at the South African Embassy to lobby against apartheid and went on a 27-day hunger strike to pressure the United States government to reinstate the democratically elected government of Jean Bernard Bertrand Asteed. Among many other actions, he was also a leading voice advocating for reparations for black Americans and that was for Haiti. He was standing up for Haiti at that time. He is an amazingly powerful, Here's he was an amazing voice. And here is a powerful quote from a 2005 interview with the Progressive Magazine. And this is what Mr. Robinson had to say. The insult of segregation was searing and unforgettable. We all have to die and I prefer to have just one death. It seems to me that to suffer insult without response is to die many deaths. The great activist and civil rights freedom fighting leader, Randell Robinson, your thoughts about him, Yasmin? Yeah, you know, whenever you hear about apartheid, I can never get over how recently that was a, a thing in South Africa and even our own civil rights movement here in the United States, which some could argue we're still in the middle of. You know, we like to think that we're all so modern and thoughtful, but these very racist and discriminatory ideas were proliferating in modern governments not that long ago. And it just goes to show that these fights that we're fighting, they never end. The minute those in power lose a bit of that power, they're fighting to get it back by whatever means possible. And unfortunately, those means usually involve oppression. But it's through that adversity and that oppression that we breed leaders and we breed strength within the community and as a community. And that's how we get fighters like Mr. Robinson here. Indeed, well rest in power and just a salute to him for all that he sacrificed and having the courage to stand up against this government, stand up against an apartheid government in South Africa. And also, you know, in talking with our government, thinking about our government, what they did over in Haiti and the Haitian community is still suffering the repercussions and consequences for what America has done. Well, that is our time today. We are so glad that Yasmin was with us today. We cannot wait till we have her back. Please make sure you check her out. Check her out over here at the TYT Network. We really, really enjoy her voice so very much. Thank each and every one of you for being here with us today. You know what I want you to do, beloves, about this time. I truly want you to keep the faith. And more importantly, I want you to keep the fight until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.